uh, good morning. Good morning, morning Trinity. Uh, I have for you a lion this morning. Just a, a little cuddly lion. She's not the generation game, but uh, this is my son's favourite toy. For those uh, who are wondering why I brought this, uh, my son Caleb, um, he has been snuggling up with this lion for the last few weeks, and it's just become one of his favourite toys. And I thought, isn't that just so like God? Isn't that just so like Him to do that? To show us the kindness of himself, the cuddliness in our younger sort of infancy. Uh, and then we, we gradually work out what he's really like as well afterwards. And that he's more than just a cuddly dad. And my son is 18 months old and he's learning about trust. He's learning about jumping in the water at the swimming, learning to wave goodbye and hoping that they will return uh, and extend trust in that way. The lion is safe, but as we all know, lions are dangerous. I had one walk right past me in Kenya earlier this year, and we, we paid it huge respect as we just watched it walk by and go on its way, as it's about a meter away from us in this jeep that's open on all sides. So we paid it huge respect. And we have this good image of God we see him as the cuddly lion. We see that he's dangerous and that he's fearsome. But that he fights for us, that he will protect us. How do you see God this morning? And I just want you to ponder that. That's the end of the lion bit. But I just want you to ponder who is God to you? What does he look like? How do you imagine him in your mind's eye when you close it? How do you... Spend time with God. Does he seem terrifying, fearsome, cuddly, or a bit of all? And so we are continuing with our sermon series on the fear of the Lord. And two weeks ago, Hills opened up with the benefits of the fear of the Lord, looking at the depth of relationship that Abraham had with the Lord. That as he went to slay his own son at the altar... As God has commanded, the Lord stops him just in time. And it's this test of character, the test of attitude that the Lord was looking for. Would Abraham try to save his son and in so doing demonstrate a fear of death for his son? Or would he trust God in all circumstances, uh, all circumstances and follow through in obedience? And as we saw, Abraham did not fear punishment if he didn't follow through, but he feared stepping out of the blessing of the Lord. Being in the presence of the Lord was so important to him. Being in that intimate relationship with him was what revealed Abraham's character. And when we do that, we get to see the healthy or the unhealthy fear that we have in our own lives. We get to see how much do we really trust God in all circumstances. And there's a cost, isn't there? But the benefit is that we get to see who he is. We get to know him. We get to see how wide and how deep his love is for us. And that he will continue to keep loving us into the future and beyond. And this morning I'd like to continue along this path of the benefits that we see in having this healthy fear of the Lord. When we live a life that is trembling at the voice and the word of God. 
Uh, Helly referred to it as the spine-tingling encounter with the living God last uh, two, two Sundays ago. When we respect his authority and treat him like he is on the throne, we approach humbly but also boldly because we are his servants. Tim said that this will be evident in the lives of those that have it. So let's look at someone else in the Bible who had this. We're going to turn to Genesis 39. And this is the story of Joseph. And Joseph is the son of Jacob, who is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham. And so we have this generational lineage that we're being shown here. And Joseph is one of the younger brothers. He gets a lot of favoritism from his father. And his father goes as far as to buy him a wonderful coat, a special coat. And many of you will have either read this story, watched the film, or even seen the play, and so you'll know it well. And at some point, because of this favoritism, uh, there's a jealous rift that opens up, isn't there, uh, between the brothers who conspire to kill him. Uh, however, he ends up being sold into slavery, and they go back and they lie to Jacob, their father, about what happened, saying, oh yeah, he died, yeah, he was torn apart, and oh, it was horrible, um, You'll never see him again. It's really sad. And actually, he'd been sold into slavery. And the person who buys Joseph ends up selling him to another man of influence in Egypt. So, let's read Genesis 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put, him in Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of the household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built, he was handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants, look, 
she said to them. This Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me? He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So what does the Lord was with Joseph mean? Does it mean he was with him in spirit? Does it mean he was literally by his side, physically? Well, when we look at the text, we can see that the word Lord is capitalised. And that's not a mistake. This means the name of the Lord, which is Yahweh. It means it is relational and that it is the covenant name of God. By covenant, we mean God has made this promise that cannot be broken. And and he made this with Abraham by extension of family. And it continues on with Joseph. The covenant cannot be broken by either party. And what is interesting that this this name Yahweh only appears in the part of the story that we're looking at here and is a sign of God's closeness to Joseph in his deepest suffering. Sometimes we don't want a, ah, they're there. We want a hug to feel the presence of someone close. Well, in this instance, it's God, and he's making himself known to Joseph, isn't he? So here we are, we're seeing this man chosen by God to lead the people through a really dark time ahead. Joseph is God's secret weapon. Blessed with two of God's characteristics, which we're going to call the two pros, provision and protection. And rather than looking at these separately, we're going to look at them together because they do go hand in hand. And when we have a healthy fear of the Lord, these two fruits will follow us, provision and protection. Now Joseph's life so far has been leading up to this critical moment when he will lead Egypt through a time of intense suffering and distress. There will be seven years of famine and many lives will be at stake, not only in Egypt, but the wider area of Canaan. And Joseph stores up grain the previous seven years, distributing it during the seven years of famine that follow. And Joseph's learning here to navigate through the really good times and through the bad times. Circumstances are changing around him from being a carefree son to Jacob with his 11 brothers to being sold to slavery, escaping death, and then working for an important captain of the guard to Pharaoh to being imprisoned. 
to being in the temple courts interpreting dreams, to being handed this really prominent role in the stewardship of the land, a role that would have been second in line to the throne. It's a dramatic turnaround, isn't it? Or is it? Did God at any point abandon or forget Joseph? Did he say, I'm too busy, I'll find you later when I've got some more time? You see, when we're going about our lives and our circumstances, our our circumstances do change, don't they? We can begin to think, well, where is God? Why is he allowing this? Where is he when I lose my job? Where are you, Lord, when I get sick? Where are you, Lord, when I have bills to pay? Where are you when I feel overwhelmed, depressed, anxious, and discouraged? And in this apparent lack, we can get even more discouraged as we begin to lose faith and even trust in God. And yet here, Joseph has come through being tossed aside by his brothers. His master now finds himself being taken to the king's prison. And it's quite the opposite from being the favourite of his father Jacob, isn't it? So do we perceive God to be present depending on our circumstances, if it's in a time of plenty? Well, hey, the Lord is clearly with me, isn't he, if, if I'm in plenty. If it is a time of suffering and lack, oh, I don't know if God's with me. In fact, I feel like he might have abandoned me. And that fear of abandonment can be really deep-rooted in some of us, closely linked to that fear of death that Hill's talked about. It's a root of all fear, fear of death. Like a thief in the night to steal, kill, and destroy. But didn't God say, I have come, that we may have life and life in abundance? John 10.10. We are to look beyond our circumstances, beyond that outward appearance of the circumstances. The story is teaching us to learn to see God's presence with us, even in the midst of great suffering in our lives. And sometimes we get comfortable, don't we? We, In the years of plenty, and don't realise it's a time to see the evidence of God being good in the times of plenty, and tuck that away for times when we have lack. Those times of famine, the trials ahead. The Lord is with his people, even in their suffering. When Jennifer and I moved to Cheltenham five years ago, we moved into the St Paul's area just down the road uh, from here. And within two months, uh, we had a number of items stolen from us. We had laptops, phones, uh, handbags, jackets, all sorts of things. We're both in the house at the time when it happened. Jennifer's asleep, and I've just come downstairs. I've opened the back door. I've taken something inside. I've gone up for a shower. And in that time, which was going for a shower, they've come in, taken everything, you know, lots of things. And then they left. And our neighbour saw them and saw them escaping. He thought they'd give chase, but he couldn't catch them. And I just remember feeling so vulnerable for a good week or so. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, and I hope you haven't, but if you have, you might attest to that, that that vulnerability of, oh, my home's been invaded, someone's come in, they've stolen, they've killed, they've destroyed. 
And even today, I still lock our patio doors at our front door, even when we're in the house. And I tell you that story because what seemed like God not protecting or providing for us ends up being the start of a really interesting journey that we're still on today. It's the ongoing abundance and favour of the Lord. We started tithing as a couple uh, shortly after that. And we'd been sort of hit and miss with it in prior years. And it was sort of a moment of, we need to trust God with everything we have, our material possessions, but our money, uh, what comes in. So we started tithing. Um, And we saw not only the insurance company cover all costs of everything that had been taken, but we saw the abundance of new for old. We started getting checks in the mail and provision from unlikely places that continued to cover our costs through many of life circumstances and more. And it still happens today. And we choose to trust God with our things and our money. He is better at it than we are. And before we moved to Cooper's Edge, we also asked God for his protection to provide us with a home um, that would help us to be the most effective we could be for ministry. Um, and when we moved in there, there were security features everywhere. I mean, they probably were spies, the previous occupant. We don't know, but it was, it was kitted out. And there's a hedge on two sides of the house, and there's a fence on the other two sides. And over the winter just gone, the fences both broke in the wind. And I started to doubt that prayer, thinking well, we kind of felt invaded again. It reminded me of, of that, that moment in St. Paul's. but I was reminded of God's protection, that promise that he made. And I'm reminded also of the story of Job. And I thought about this the other day, and I read when God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God. And shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put your hedge of protection around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand. And God wants to do that for all of us. We here, his servants. Blameless in God's sight because of the blood of Jesus that was shared upon the cross. We can have that same security. When Joseph is being thrown into prison, just like he was thrown into slavery earlier, we see another capitalised Lord. It's God, it's Yahweh. He is still with him. That promise cannot be broken. And he shows him kindness and favour And the Lord was with him in whatever he did. He provides security in the form of kindness and favour. What a lovely sentiment. (laughs) Is kindness enough? Is kindness going to change how we see our circumstances? How about favour? Is favour going to change our circumstances? I don't think independently they are. I think it is a relationship with him. 
But in that relationship, God extends abundance and more abundance and more abundance because he loves us. And so kindness and favor come with that. And if you don't have that relationship with God this morning, if you wonder what it would feel like to have that security, to feel like a cuddly, fierce lion has your back, and to have favor and provision from him, I want to tell you that you can have it. You don't need to walk in fear of man, in the fear of abandonment, or fear for your life. Because when you know Jesus, you can have that same covenant relationship. Know that he wants to embrace you and cheer you on. He will get in that deep pit with you, and he will go around that mountain again and again and again until it is conquered. He will never leave you. I want to spend a bit of time in ministry this morning, and I'd like to invite you to stand. And if you're thinking about some of those words, and maybe they're affecting you in terms of how you see God, how you fear him for the size that he might seem to be, where you've overinflated the image of him. Or maybe you're not scared enough. <laughs> Perhaps he's always been a cuddly teddy bear and that's it, and that relationship stays there. But he is both and. So I'm going to read from Psalm 91. I just want you to either close your eyes or you can put your hands out however you like to receive. And we're just going to use this as a reflection. And I'm going to skip some verses. I'll read others out. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Yahweh. We thank you for that covenant that was made and that relationship that you have with us that you extend to us. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God. And I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers and he will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrow that flies in the day. If you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. And the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. And I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. <clears throat> 